Well, anyway, let's, let's jump in today. Um, always a joy and a privilege to be with you, uh, worshiping the Lord together. Um, if you haven't already done so, let me encourage you to turn with me to the book of John. We find ourselves once again uh, in chapter 4, and today uh, we are talking about the all-important, exciting topic of mission. Uh, if you weren't with us here last week, we began this chapter uh, in which Jesus uh, goes to this well in Samaria, and he has a conversation with this woman who has a pretty challenging story. Uh, she's been married five times. Uh, she was at that time currently living with another man who was not her husband, but by the grace of God, uh, her life, we see, is transformed as Jesus shows compassion on her and she chooses to follow him. Now, uh, we know as well from the story that Jesus' disciples are away during this interaction. Uh, they have gone into the city to get food. They went uh, about you know, an hour's journey uh, to grab lunch for the group. But now uh, they have returned back to where Jesus was. And as they returned, they see Jesus talking to this woman that is uh, culturally and religiously sort of unacceptable. Jews can't talk to Samaritans. Uh, rabbis can't talk with women. Uh, he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be engaging with her, but he is anyway. And so Jesus begins to explain why. He begins to explain mission to them. He begins to underline some really important aspects of mission, and that's what today is all about. Uh, we're going to consider Jesus's example to us in mission. We're going to look at Jesus's explanation of mission or of the mission, and then we're going to close our time together today with Jesus's exaltation in mission, okay? His example, his explanation, and his exaltation by looking at what happened to the Samaritans. And, and let me say this as well. As I was thinking about this text, it's sort of stuck in here in the middle of John 4. I was thinking this week how much as a gathering uh, we need this text. You know, we need all of the scriptures, of course, always, but it was a great reminder to me as I was studying uh, this text this week that we, we need this because let me remind you, let me remind us uh, of who we are um, as Freedom Village Church. Um, if you've been to FEC 101 before, or if you've been around here long enough, uh, you've looked maybe on the banners on the wall, you've heard that our desire here, our vision is to be the church. It's our vision. We want to be the people that Jesus has called us to be, to be the church. And that is, uh, we want to be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We want to be people who center the totality of their lives on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to center our lives on the gospel. And we want to be people who are sent on mission. That's who we are. It's, it's what the scriptures and our Lord Jesus have called us to, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be centered on the gospel, and to be sent on mission, to be the church, which is why Every single Sunday when we gather here together and we, we, we sing and we, we listen to the teaching of God's word, like today we're going to take communion together, uh, we do all those things, but at the end of every service we say this phrase, go be 
the church. That's how we close every service, right? And that's a reminder. That's a reminder of our vision. It's not just a, a, a tag that we put on to like end, end a, a podcast or a YouTube video, though it might do that. And we might even put it on a t-shirt, but it's much more than that. It's, a, it's our vision. It's a reminder, actually, of who we are. And, and to that, to that who we are, these characteristics, I also want to say this, that actually we cannot separate these three things, being empowered by the Spirit, centered on the gospel, and sent on mission. Some of us do that. Some of us want to do that, but we can't. See, you can't say, as a follower of Jesus, you cannot say that you love the gospel, that, that you that you love God, that you're, that I'm, that I'm, oh, I'm here today and I'm, and I'm, my whole desire is to center myself on the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can't do that without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that without loving the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his constant filling, not just back when we were in say, when we were saved and the indwelling of the Spirit happened. We need his filling every single day. You can't say, I want to center my life on the gospel. I want to live on mission without the Holy Spirit. You can't separate it. And at the same time, we can't say, oh, I just love the Holy Spirit, and I want to be a Spirit-led person. You can't say, I'm here today. I, I, I have the Spirit. I love the gospel. I love God's word. I'm, I'm striving to be a gospel-centered person, and then simultaneously not be on mission. They're all connected. They're all, all woven into our identity as followers of Jesus. You see, we are a sent people. We are a people who are on mission. It's woven into the fabric of our DNA as followers of Jesus. It's who we are. And so maybe, just maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit cold, a little bit distant when it comes to mission. My hope today is that through listening to Jesus, that you and I will be encouraged once again to be who we are, to live out our calling, that this passage this morning would instruct us, that it would inspire us, that it would encourage us, and that it would ultimately embolden us to live our lives as spirit-empowered, gospel-centered people who are on mission for his glory and are good. So with that, again, open your Bibles to John 4 if you haven't done that already. And in verses 31 through 34, I want us to consider, first of all, Jesus' example in mission. That's where we're starting today. Jesus' example in mission. So verse 31, starting again there, it says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So Jesus now has had this conversation with a Samaritan lady, maybe for an hour, maybe for two. And now the disciples, as I already said, have come back and they want Jesus to eat. They know he's tired. They know he is weary from all the ministry that was being done and from the travels. And so they tell him, eat, here, we brought you food. And in return, we see Jesus. He uses this opportunity to teach the disciples about the priority of mission and the satisfaction of doing mission. He says in verse 32 to them, he says, I have food to eat 
that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the disciples are like, hey, wait a second. While we were gone, like going out to get this guy food, um, has someone already come and fed Jesus lunch? That's what they ask. They're clearly confused, which is very typical of the disciples. They're often confused. And so Jesus clarifies to them. He's like, hey, guys, I'm not talking actually about physical food here. That's not part of the conversation. He's like, I don't have like uh, food hidden in my pockets from you, right? Or something like that. I have food you don't know about, right? He like pulls it out of his, you know, it's not this. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father. Now, we can't take this too far. Uh, We shouldn't take this out of context. We, of course, know that Jesus ate food. He ate food often, regularly with his disciples and with those who did not follow him. But Jesus is using this moment as a teaching opportunity to let the disciples know that there is actually, there exists a deeper satisfaction that goes beyond physical food. And that is the great satisfaction of obedience. The great satisfaction of obedience. You see, obedience is like food in that it nourishes us, it strengthens us. That's what he's going to say to us. Obedience to the Lord In other words, it satisfies our souls. It brings us great contentment. That's what he's saying. And so follow this train of thought with me now. It's it's a little, I think it's not typical to, to hear this, but follow the train of thought. Perhaps you're here today and you actually, you're here today and you feel a little bit weary. You feel like in your walk with Christ, you're you're lacking that you're a little bit dry, that you're not as as nourished or alive as you once were. That's not very uncommon amongst us, right? And, and, And perhaps, there's a number of reasons that could be, but perhaps, perhaps that's the case because you and I are not properly feasting on obedience to the will of God. That you're actually malnourished because you're lacking in obedience to his mission. In other words, sometimes a lack of satisfaction is due to a lack of obedience. How many of you have ever thought of it that way? And and in Jesus' context here, it's a lack of involvement in his mission. He says, I am so full, I'm so nourished, I'm so satisfied because I've been living on mission. I've been living out the gospel, sharing my faith. I love these words from a man named John Campbell White. He said this in 1909. He says, most men and women are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose towards the world that he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. And listen, the men and women who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of this life its sweetest and most priceless 
rewards. I love that last sentence. He says, the people who are getting the most out of this life, those who are experiencing uh, the, the deepest levels of contentment, the greatest levels of satisfaction, are those who choose to give their lives fully to God's work, to his mission. And what we see here in our text is Jesus modeling this very thing for us and for his disciples. He gave himself to the mission fully. He obeyed fully. We actually know he obeyed fully all the way to the cross. That was his mission. And and see, because we know that Jesus died in our place, because we have believed in him and have been given new life, because we now, for those of us who are in Christ, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to live out this mission and to obey him fully as well, don't we? The apostle Paul said this to the leaders in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He's speaking to the overseers there. He says this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is, this is what we want. Uh, this, this should be. This isn't just for uh, the seminary trained. It's not for the pastors with the microphones. For all of us, this, this should be what we want to, to finish our lives well, to say that we have fully given our lives to the work of the Lord, to his purposes, to his mission. I had to uh, pray, be careful. I had to be careful to pray about this again this week. Say, once again, Jesus, I, I, I want to finish well. I don't want to do, just, just be doing well now. I, 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 I tend to often want instant gratification, instant satisfaction. But, but give me a bigger picture of you and, and what you're doing and, and what I'm called to. Jesus, I want to finish well. I want us as a gathering, as a local church in this city to, to finish well. May our aim not be fame, may it not be popularity, may it not be success in the eyes of people, but like Paul says, may we say, I don't count my life of any value except this one thing. I just want to finish this race. I just want to testify to the gospel of grace. I want to give my life to that mission to speak about the, the incomparable grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live for him, to to live on mission for him, to to feast actually every single day on that, to to feast on on the obedience to God, for God. This was Jesus's food, he says. This was his example, and it was soul satisfying to him. And so here's what's also true. Not engaging in mission will always leave you spiritually dry. Not engaging in his mission will always leave you unsatisfied. So then, what does it look like for us to actually feast on obedience to God, particularly when it comes to the context of mission? We all want satisfaction, right? So what does it look like to join his mission, to get that satisfaction? Let me show you from Jesus' work here in Samaria, okay? This is going to be on the screen. I'm going to flow through 
just kind of looking backwards at Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman and show you uh, what this work, what this mission looks like, okay? So number one, we learn from Jesus' example when it comes to instruction of mission that we need to be where people are, okay? We need to be where people are. This is the way of the Christian life, okay? Listen, listen, some of you need to hear this. You, you are not following the way of Jesus if you're never around people who need Jesus. Okay? You are not following the pathway of Jesus if you are never around people who don't know Jesus. Which means that we must live our lives with gospel intentionality. It looks like being intentional with your already existing network. Don't add anything new to your schedule. Maybe you need to, but most of us don't. Just be intentional with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, where you eat, where you shop, where you drink coffee, right? For those of us who call FEC home, I, I encourage you to be in community here. Be with people who encourage you and who will challenge you to reach people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Be where people are. Second, obedience to God when it comes to mission looks like crossing cultural barriers. This is what we saw last week with Jesus, right? He's talking to this woman at a well who's from Samaria, and in doing this, we know that he was breaking all sorts of rules. Right? Not God's rules, but he was breaking rules that the Jewish people and the system had set up for them. He was crossing racial barriers, religious barriers, and social barriers for the sake of mission. We need to do the same. Third, we need to learn to start gospel conversations in authentic ways. We need to learn how to do this. It's not, it's not easy, but we need the practice, right? I'm just telling you, there's nothing wrong with this, and it was done for years, so maybe you've done this. I, it was one of the first things I've done, but I'm telling you that for the most part, it no longer works to sit on a street corner and hand people a trap. That used to have effectiveness. It used to work to stand on a street corner, right, and with a sign strapped around me and start just kind of, you know, with a megaphone being like, Jesus loves you, right? Or he doesn't, right? That's the other side. Right? There was some effectiveness in that type of ministry before, but people are jaded to that now. Right? The young generation isn't coming to Christ through those means anymore. So, Maybe we should find another way. <laughs> and I think it starts with a relational evangelism. It starts with being authentic people, but also knowing how to weave in the gospel into every, everyday conversations, right? Listen, with the, Jesus, was a, again, he's a master at this. It was so simple for him. He starts with a question. Hey, can I have a drink? And then from there, he just seamlessly moves into a conversation about living water. We need to learn how to do the same, to look for ways to start gospel conversations with people. Perhaps for you, you're here, and it's as simple as just letting a friend know that you go to a worship gathering on Sundays, very casually. Find a way to bring that up. Oh, what'd you do on Sunday? Right? Oh, what'd you do? Oh, this is, and then you will probably ask, what did you do? Oh, I go to this gathering, right? These people, Christian. See where that leads. 
be a person who listens with intentionality, right? I've said this before a lot of times. Typically, when we go into a coffee meeting, uh, the reason we go into that is not to listen. We go to these meetings to be heard, right? We want to share. But going to meetings with the purpose of listening authentically, hear what they're saying, Talk to the Holy Spirit as they're talking to you. Maybe share one of your own problems. And then the solution being your own faith. Get your other, other unbelieving friends to meet with other genuine followers of Jesus. Be natural, please. And be patient. A fourth principle I'll share, I think we see this from Jesus. Obedience to God and mission looks like discussing the whole gospel. I think this is a lost art in our modern day context, to be honest. We have to share the whole gospel. And so that means, yes, bringing up joy. Yes, means bringing up love. It means bringing up eternal life now and forever, but it also means discussing sin. Jesus always called people to repentance. But he did so with compassion. And then finally, we need to learn to trust God's power to save. I think that's just a great starting point, to be honest. And that means being prayerful, and it means actually having true faith. It's having confidence that, that Jesus can save anyone, anytime. Now listen, even a Samaritan woman who was, for whatever reason, outcasted from society... She helped bring revival to her city with God's help. That's a radical thing. So this is Jesus' example to us in mission. And he says, living this way, living my life with this, this way, he says to his disciples, that's a nourishment to me. That's the food that I'm partaking in. Living my life on mission for his purposes and for his plan. Soul satisfying. And so I believe that if we follow this example, it will become like food for us as well. The second portion of this, uh, this text that I want to discuss now is Jesus' explanation in mission, which comes in verses 35 through 38, just working through the text this morning. And we see Jesus does this in a very interesting way. He does it by giving us two proverbial statements. Um, some of you are like, proverbial what? I'll explain. Uh, both of which have to do with farming. Jesus has this great way of telling uh, truth through modern context, um, and he does that here through farming. So let's work through these briefly. First, in verse 35, Jesus says this, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The point here is really simple, and the the... The, the Proverbs that he's giving here are actually in contrast to one another. The first one he says is this. Some fields are ripe for the harvest, which means you and I need to live our lives with a sense of urgency and with a sense of expectancy. Notice again here what he says to, to the disciples. He says, typically, in, this is my translation, typically in farming, we know that there's this time between sowing and reaping. That's what he's talking about. You say four months, right? And then, right, so there's sowing seeds, then we reap the fruit, right? Sow these seeds, months go by, we reap the fruit. 
But listen now, he says, I know that's the case, but here's what I'm telling you when it comes to the mission. Look. Lift up your eyes. He's saying to them, wake up. You're sleeping. Why? Because, he says, because in kingdom work, the fields are white with harvest. That's what he says. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. We'll pause there. He's saying, sometimes when you're sowing seeds, there's a great time period before you're reaping the harvest. And we understand that, right? There has to be great patience in farming. Sometimes we know that's how it works spiritually, that you're reaching out to an unbelieving friend, a family member, and that's the same way, right? It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of sowing seeds, a lot of reminders of what is true. So be patient, be compassionate, be loving, right? Be merciful. That's the message. But now Jesus says there are other occasions in which the fields are ripe for harvest. And this here, it's actually profound what he's just said, because this here is a statement of his own messianic coming. He's saying that with the coming of Jesus, now that I'm here and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is coming, there can now be certain places where a great harvest will take place immediately. That's what he's saying. When the gospel is preached, people will respond. And of course, we know a classic example of that is right here in John chapter 4. That's exactly what happened in this village in Samaria. Jesus is like, hey, guys, here's the, here's the situation. Here's the deal. You went to go get lunch, and while you were doing that, we've had a revival. <laughs> All right? Talk about humility, right? These guys, if they thought any ounce of like, yeah, I'm, the, I'm one of the 12 who gets, you know, one of the small group that gets to follow Jesus. Like, how great am I? Jesus is like, yeah, it's about that. You weren't here for any of the good stuff, right? You were all getting sandwiches, right? While people were getting saved, right? The whole city has come to Christ because sometimes, again, the fields are just ripe. They're just ripe. Like in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, and what happens? He preaches the gospel, right? Repent, believe, be baptized, and what happens? We know thousands come to believe in Jesus, right? It's incredible. The fields were ripe, ripe with harvest that day. So we have to live with a certain sense of expectancy. We should live our lives with expectancy. God saves sinners, we know that. We believe that because we were one of them, right? God has the power to save. There are fields now that are ripe for the harvest. So the message Jesus is giving us and his disciples is this. Get involved. Get on mission. Now, this last part of verse 36, it's a bit of a transitional phrase. He's going to move from proverb to the next proverb in which he says this. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is extremely powerful. It's actually a, a reminder to us of the end times promise, a promise that we see in, in Amos chapter 9, where the prophet Amos says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman, that's the sower by the way, shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow 
with it. What in the world are you saying, Amos? Well, actually, this is a beautiful poetic image of a land that's to come, like the Garden of Eden, that actually has so much fruit. There's so much productivity in this place because why? Because there's no curse there anymore. This is what Amos is talking about, what he's referring to. We see here in this place, there's miraculous blessing, there's unending prosperity, there's sowing and reaping in this place happening simultaneously. Sowing and reaping collide in this place, if you will. He's talking about the kingdom, okay? And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, listen, is that when you and I sow and reap together, when those things coincide, and at times they will, know this, that that is actually a foretaste of the glory that is to come. This is a sign that we are in the messianic age. We're in the age of Christ. Jesus is saying, we are living in the harvest days now because I'm here. Sows have been sown, right? Seeds have been sown all throughout the Old Testament. The work has been done, right? Kings have come and testified. Prophets have declared He's coming. There's a time where the nations, every tribe, tongue, right, nation will believe. And Jesus is saying, now is the time. The fields are white with harvest. Join the mission. So listen, there are times when you sow and you will instantaneously reap. You'll share the gospel and people will immediately respond. Right? That has happened to me a few times, to my surprise even. I remember the first time I ever had the privilege of leading someone to Christ. Um, I had become a Christian, and um, about a year later, I found myself like in Bible school. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, I didn't even like know the books of the Bible. Um, but I was in an evangelism class, and we had to read this book. And part of the assignment is like every two weeks, you had to share the gospel with somebody. Right? It's part of the class. And I remember I was terrified, right? terrified and so part of me is like man should I just make this up like there's this guy Joe I met him on the street and I shared right I actually went through that whole thing and then I'm like man I'm still gonna be a pastor I probably shouldn't do that right <laughs> I probably shouldn't it's right? not the best idea so I'm like who am I gonna who am I gonna talk to right and um I lived in California previous to that uh, I didn't have one one friend in, in my circle who was a, a Christian and I was living in Virginia at the time and I just started to pray, and the Lord laid on my heart a good friend of mine named Aaron. And I didn't know what in the world I was doing or what I was saying. All I had was like this script, right? If they say this, it's kind of like a telemarketer, right? You ask a question, if they say this, and you're like, okay, so say this. It was like that. It was seriously. I was like, God, okay, I got to do this. Just let me get it through it. And I remember I literally went into the assignment thinking, I just got to get through it. I know she's going to say no. I know that, but I'll just get through the assignment. And so I remember I, I pick, up the, you know, pick up the phone and I call. She's like, hey, what's going on? She thought we were gonna t I was going to talk to her about a baseball game. And uh, we were both, you know, we were like rival teams, and my team had won. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> and I, uh, I said to her this, hey, Aaron, I know, like, you know, we've known each other for like three years and everything. Um, you know what's kind of happened to me. And, and she was really surprised, that group, that I had, like, even moved to Virginia and everything. And I was like, um, I have a question for you. She's like, okay. 
Yeah, Mike. Uh, do you consider yourself a good person? <laughs> really? She's like, well, yeah, I do. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, have, you, have you ever told a lie? <laughs> She's like, yeah. I was like, have you ever stolen anything? Even when you were a kid? She's like, yeah, I think so, like a candy bar. Like when I was like, whatever, oh, okay. And I just went through the list. I'm like, so here's what the Bible says, right? You're a, you're a liar, you're a thief, right? I started going through it. <laughs> I'm serious, I'm serious. And at the end, then I just started like, I just started reading the scriptures. And, uh, and I was like, well, here, there's, here, there's good news. Like there's good news for people who aren't good people, right? And I said, you know, Jesus came like, to take away your sins, whatever. And then I literally just asked it this way. So, so do you want to believe in Jesus? Do you want to follow him? And I remember, like, pause, silence on the phone. I was, I was 20. She's like, yeah, yeah, I want that. And I just, like, I was like, mute the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know? <laughs> mute the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, like, dancing around. Yes, right? And so um, I just, like, let her, and, you know, and we prayed together, and, I write this report, and I bring into my class, and I was just like, man, like, this is unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Jesus could even use me, right? Who didn't even know, like, I couldn't literally, literally, I was the guy in, the, in, in like, Bible classes with all these people who knew they were called, and I'm like, I'm using the tabs to find books of the Bible, and God could use me, like, just to, to share the gospel in an awkward, uncomfortable way, but in that moment, like, the it, it proved to me, wow, if you just are willing to obey, if you just are willing to share, people will respond. People will respond. I mean, I, I, I called her, literally, she's a friend of mine. I called her a liar, a thief. She, I mean, I like went through the list. And still, she was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Now, I could tell you another dozen stories where it didn't go well. But the point is, is it taught me, be expectant. Because Jesus does save. There are times when you share the gospel and people will respond immediately. John Piper says it this way, Jesus' coming is the beginning of the messianic age. The old patterns of four months between sowing and reaping don't hold anymore. God is full of surprises. Jesus can collapse any interval he pleases. So, he says, pray for wonders in sowing and reaping in your life and around the world. Amen. We should pray for wonders, pray for great fruit, pray for great fruit. Well, in the second proverb, Jesus tells us that in other fields, success in reaping actually depends on the labor of those who have come before us. He says, for here, the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you do not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So while some fields are ripe and ready for harvest, where as soon as you sow, you reap, that isn't the case with every field. Sometimes you plant seeds of the gospel and you won't see a harvest right away, and that's okay. He's saying, stay patient. Keep sowing seeds. Continue to be faithful regardless of what your eyes can see. And you know, there is a beautiful sense of togetherness here 
There's teamwork in, in sowing and in reaping, that together as the church and as the global body of Christ, we work together in just being faithful to the mission. Sometimes we are here and we are sowing, and other times we are here and we are reaping, and through it all, we are doing the same thing. We are begging God for rain. We're begging him for rain, begging him to do what only he can do, to change hearts, to transform lives. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the church uh, growing in Corinth. He says this. He says, he's, he's reminding him of how this church started, how it was planted. He says this, I planted and Apollos, another church leader, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are what? One. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Point being, we are co-laborers together. We are one in this mission. And there is a reward. There is a reward for both sowing and for reaping. And it's only God who gives the growth. Yes, we are to strive for this. Yes, we are to work at this. We use our God-given abilities. We use our God-given wisdom for the mission. But ultimately, it's not about our strategies. It's not about our tactics. God gives the growth. That's what we see here. Which means, which means, here's the message. Let's not get puffed up if we're reaping and seeing growth. And let's not get discouraged when we're just sowing and sowing and sowing and not seeing any fruit. Because again, it's all up to God. Our job, once again, is just to be glad and to be faithful. That's really the message today. Be glad and be faithful. Be faithful where you are. Be faithful where God has you and be glad with what God has asked you to do. Be glad with what he has you doing. Why? Because no matter what you're doing, as long as you're in Christ and it's for Christ, it's all for him and it's all about him. Amen? Well, then our last section here today is where we see Jesus' exaltation and mission. His example, his explanation, and another E, his exaltation. We see this in verses 39 to 42. Jesus has given us a model for mission. He's explained how we are to approach living on mission through sowing and reaping. He now provides for us the ultimate goal in mission, which is this, his glory. It's his glory. It's all about his glory. And we see this expressed through the Samaritans who are now coming to Jesus in droves. John writes here this. He says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he, Jesus, stayed with them there for two days. So, so Jesus shares the gospel with this woman at a well. She accepts the message of the gospel. And then in turn, she turns, goes back to her city, and she starts to testify, to share the gospel, to tell who Jesus is, to tell what he has done. And so here we now see Based on that testimony from that woman, people are coming out to see Jesus, to find out who is this man, what has he done. And they are believing in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And I love this little piece that John adds, 
that Jesus not only chooses to sit down to talk to a Samaritan woman, which was very controversial, but it says that now he chooses to stay in Samaria for two days with the rest of the Samaritans. The disciples were probably appalled at this internally. You were, again, as a good Jew, you weren't even allowed to walk through Samaria, let alone sit down and drink with Samaritans and eat with Samaritans. Now they're sleeping in the homes of Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. So not only shocking to the reader, this should be shocking to us, that Jesus would choose to do this. But what happened during those two days? Look at this. It says this, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know this, that that man is indeed the Savior of the world. So they go out with, and meet with Jesus, the crowd, because of the woman's testimony. But now we're told that their belief in Jesus is affirmed because they have actually heard from Jesus himself. And you know, isn't it just remarkable that the Samaritans were the first people group to call Jesus the, the Savior of the world? That astonishes me. I paused at that for a long time, actually, last night. First people group to call Jesus the Savior of the world, it's the Samaritans. These are the enemies of the Jews, calling Jesus the Savior. You know, you have to understand the context of this time to really understand what this means, because we know that at that time, Greek deities took on this title. We also know that Zeus called himself the Savior of the world, and beyond that, this was a title that was given to Roman Caesars of that time as well. People were calling themselves and called saviors of the world. But here we have the real savior of the world in the land of Samaria, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And we must understand here together today that this is actually the goal of mission. To go into every field, every nook, to go into every cranny, and to see the fame of Jesus Christ spread. We want to see Jesus exalted where he is neither named nor known. All around the world there are opportunities, Jesus says. The fields are ripe with harvest. We want to see every nation, every tribe, and every tongue giving praise to King Jesus. Why? Because you and I, if you believe, we know that he is worthy of praise. That's why. He's worthy of this. He will one day have all the praise. We just get to partake in getting the world there. What a privilege. What an honor. Soon we are told in Habakkuk chapter 2 that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And right now, wrap your minds around this with me. Once again, I just said it, but let it sink in. You and I get to take part in this mission. We get to take part in this unstoppable mission. It can't be stopped. His kingdom will grow. It will expand. He will sit on the throne. He already is. He's waiting for that final day. It will happen, and we get to participate with him. We know how this is already going to end, amen? Jesus wins. It's the end. And we have the privilege today of joining it, of being part of it, 
right now, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out this mission, to tell others that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. So the message is clear today from this text in John 4. It's so clear. Join the mission to find satisfaction. With great urgency and with great expectancy, join the mission. With a glad heart and with great faith that Jesus saves, join the mission. Whether you're a sower in here today or whether you will be a reaper, join the mission. And as we go on mission, let's be encouraged knowing that in our obedience to this call, that we will experience great nourishment and a deep and lasting satisfaction for our souls.